Gentlemen, fellas, colleagues, in this movie, we are to believe that a new generation has taken the wheels of a popular franchise. If you were to take another horror franchise and give it to a new generation, any time period, any actors, what franchise and what actors would you use to be the next generation? Um, well, they're already redoing this one, so I'm not terribly creative here. But I would like to see, I would have loved to see, or like to see, because he's still young, a Michael B. Jordan Candyman flick. Uh, he would be the next generation Candyman. Uh, mostly because Michael B. Jordan's amazing in everything he does. Uh, I have a total crush on him, so let me see more of him. Michael B. is a good-looking fellow. Yeah, and he can act. He's the total package. <laughs> all right, all right. I can get behind that. Who would your female character be for the next generation? Oh, I didn't think that far ahead. Um, Helen Hunt. Okay, a young <laughs> Helen Hunt uh, against a young Michael B. Jordan. I like this. What a combination. I might be wrong here, John, but I think you might have chosen an older actress than the original. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of the first actress that came to my mind... Uh, I don't know why it was Helen Hunt. I wish I knew what she was doing in my mind, but uh, that's who popped up. She's living there rent-free, baby. She certainly <laughs> is. There's just a twister in your subconscious, man. She's in there trying to clean it up, I guess. Maybe it's because our last podcast, we had Paul Reiser, right? So I'm just thinking mad about you, Helen Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That makes sense. Mark, who you got? Okay, I think we are ready for a new financially backed phantasm. I think we need a proper one of those with a good high budget. Not like the last one that was shot on an iPhone. Good on you for continuing with your franchise, but let's get some real money behind this again. And I want to see as Reggie, I'm going to go with Steve from Stranger Things. The guy with the long hair, mostly because I want to shave it off and make him bald. <laughs> and I think he's smarmy enough that I think he could play Reggie Bannister and hold a quadruple barrel shotgun. Okay. I like that. For Jody, which is, if you remember, Jody was the younger brother who was peeping on his brother having sex in the graveyard. Remember that character? Um, that is going to be played by Jaden Martell. You may remember him as stuttering brother in Stephen King's It. Bill. He plays Bill. The real question, Mark, is how could we forget Jody, of course we all remember uh, him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can't forget him. No, Keystone. For older brother Mike, I chose Timothy Chalamet. Now, you might not know this kid. The thing that I know him from was from the recent Little Women movie. Put him in a leather jacket, put on some glasses. He's kind of got that I don't give a shit stare in his eyes. I think he could play a good Mike. All right. All right. Now, for the real question is... Who is going to replace Angus Scrim as the tall man? I thought long and hard, and the answer seemed to be right there. Tilda Swinton. What do you guys think of that? Yo, I can get down. No Helen Hunt, but uh, but I support it. <laughs> I think Tilda Swinton as Angus Scrim's tall man would be amazing. Oh, God. <laughs> I will point out, Mark, that I think you fundamentally missed the point of this exercise, was not to pack a movie remake or a movie uh, reboot with a star-studded cast is to take two famous people, put them super young, and then put them against shit. <laughs> so you packed your uh, you packed your movie with too much star power, man. Kill two actors. Who would you get rid of right now? You think there's too many famous people? I don't. I didn't think these guys were all that famous, other than Tilda Swinton. But okay, then uh, we can get rid of Jaden Martell. We'll we'll cast a new kid, and. Uh, 
let's get rid of Mike. We'll we'll get some unknowns for those. All right. Okay. I like it. Some new kids on the block, if you will. <laughs> oh man, I I do think that your choices for that would actually be really good. I would watch that film. Um, I just thought you know, in, in vain of this movie, there's two star power names that are clearly on the boxes, and everyone else is non-existent in the world of uh, the SAGs. Mark, you're going too hard with it. You got you, the thing is, is where's the budget coming from? Because as we know from this movie that we're going to talk about, there is no budget, baby. Well, I think we could get Amazon to back any Tilda Swinton property after her latest Suspiria double, triple role. I forget how many roles she had in that movie, but I think Amazon's willing to put out the cash for a phantasm, the next generation, you know? Ooh, I like it. I, yeah, you know what? Amazon probably would. Amazon's been actually getting some really good stuff. Although, I'm not going to get on my soapbox about I'm pissed that they bought Coming to America too. which did you guys see the trailer for? Looks I did. fucking hilarious. It looks so good. I'm actually really excited. Oh, I did we watch the same trailer? I believe I believe we did. There's only one. It's going to be PG-13. That alone turned I was like, "No, I'm what a waste. What a waste. How are you going to get Eddie Murphy and put him behind PG-13? We're going to it's going to be a Pluto Nash situation through and through." Whoa. 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 <laughs> you shut your goddamn mouth right now, John. <laughs> I don't think anything's been a Pluto Nash situation since Pluto Nash. <laughs> Unless it's coming to America to the next generation, it's not going to be Pluto Nash. <laughs> Level. Norbit. Norbit was a Pluto Nash situation. Yeah. And coming to America, they, it's going to finish the trilogy. Pluto Nash, <laughs> Norbit, coming to America 2. The Murphyverse, if you will. <laughs> the MMU. No, the, the MCU, the, the Murphy Cinematic Universe. We'll get everyone confused on which one it is. <laughs> so for my next generation uh, reboot, I went with, uh, we all saw the Child's Play movie with Mark Hamill. And while Mark, Mark Hamill is a national treasure, he could not save that movie for me. So I do feel like we need to go back and redo that. So Child's Play, The Next Generation, starring, now bear with me here, a young Howdy Doody as Chucky. It's Howdy Doody time. It's Howdy Doody time. Uh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> You're taking an actual puppet from a real puppet show and casting him as Chucky in Child's Play. Is that correct? That is correct, sir. Okay. <laughs> We're pretending that Howdy Doody is a real actor. I'll, I'll buy it. And to be clear, it's got to be young Howdy Doody, so young puppet. <laughs> so then he'd just be a piece of wood before he was like shaved into a puppet. <laughs> Splinters everywhere. He's a stick. <laughs> Oh, man. And just to make it really awkward, we're going with a young Tilda Swinton as the mother. Hey, you can't take her. She's my actress. Look, Amazon's putting up the cash. She can be in 90 films in one year. She's got the time. That's true. Okay. So that's uh, that's what I went with. I thought it'd be funny to have a, a very aged, de-aged, young down howdy doody as a Chucky doll. With the strings and everything, I say let's just continue to make him a marionette. Okay, I was going to ask you, is Howdy Doody going to be app controlled on your iPhone? But no, you're you're going old classic '40s string puppet. Yes, and the strings don't even go out of frame, and there's nothing attached to them, so they were added via CG. 
they go to the top of the screen, but they don't actually leave the frame of the shot. So it just looks like pointless strings sticking straight up in the air. Mm. That's the level of professionalism I expect for this next generation reboot after seeing today's movie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation. To add to the effect, Garrett, maybe you could have a CG hand sometimes pop in the frame, <laughs> you know, like it, <laughs> just right at the very top. Definitely. John, I think you're going to need to get your wife to call Kim Henkel and get him on board for Howdy Doody play. Uh, well, she'll have to call his son who will have to call him. And we'll also have to go back in time probably like 20 years. <laughs> it's a whole production. It's not worth it. We don't have the budget for time travel. He said his eyes are green. He's like a person that you've never seen. He's been the friends. But now he doesn't seem to stand a chance. Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk podcast. My name is Mark, again joined with Garrett and John. Fellas... Another Saturday, another episode. How are we doing today? Doing a lot better now that this episode's going to be behind us. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> right out the gate. <laughs> Were you just really anxious about this episode for months or what? Yeah, well, I just want everyone to know about my deep love of anything named The Next Generation. Star Trek, Texas Chainsaw, whatever. You put those words after it. I'm on board. Saved by the bell. <laughs> Oh, no, that was the new class. Yeah, they messed up. They were so close. <laughs> they could have had a fan for life. You know, speaking of like Saved by the Bell and Boy Meets World, zero high school teachers followed me to college. And I got to tell you, I was not prepared by ABC for that outcome. Hollywood is so fake, isn't it? Ugh, it's <laughs> crushing. R.I.P. Dustin Diamond. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. He did pass away, didn't he? I think I made some comments about him in a previous episode, and I just would like to know that he was alive at the time I said that. <laughs> Apologies to the Diamond Estate if this comes out after. The Diamond Estate. I love that because it sounds so classy and huge, and in reality, it probably was not that big. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> probably not. But R.I.P. anyway, Dustin. Yeah, we'll pour a, a heisey ecto cooler out for you, my man. So... I actually watched quite a few horror movies because, you know, I'm a consummate professional and have to pick up your guys' slack. So I watched a movie called Psycho Goreman, which is fantastic. It's cheesy. It's fun. It is over-the-top violence. It reminds me of um, almost like a, a trauma film in the fact that it's just so over-the-top gory and stuff like that. But it is about these two kids that find a gym that controls this, like, killer monster alien I want to say hilarity ensues, but honestly, just insanity ensues. But it's really funny. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek at times, but I'd highly, highly recommend it. I also watched a movie called Impetigore, uh, which was really interesting. That one was super intense. It had like a lot of like kind of like almost hostile level intensity to it for me. Um, that was... I'm not going to give too much away for the story because it is... It's a very interesting take on kind of like this... Um, I don't know. What would you call it, Mark? Did you did you watch that one? Yeah, I did, actually. Uh, it popped up in my recommendations over the week, and I decided to check it out. Uh, it's an Indonesian film, and it it's about a woman who's going to look into her past after a horrific event at her job sends her questioning why this man came after her. Um, she ends up in a, in a remote village, I assume out in Indonesia somewhere, and 
just kind of unfolds this this history of a tormented town and it did have elements of like the outsider coming in and and she's the representative for the audience as we as this horror is unveiled um but it is like a supernatural like the village you know what i mean you remember the village from Shyamalan, but like not as puritan and i kind of got like hints of like some silent hill-esque music at times and, and some of the feels that that invokes but it's really well done. I was really happy that I watched it. Definitely. That one kind of popped up out of nowhere. I watched the trailer and I was like, that just looks weird enough to be entertaining. So I took a chance, saw it. It was really good. I recommend that one quite a bit if you're looking for more of a scare type intense horror. Um, if you're looking for something fun and kind of campy and just over the top, Psycho Goreman's the way to go. But I watched those two things. And then other than that, not much. I haven't been sleeping really well. I've been kind of obsessing over that character in Back to the Future Part 2 that goes, hey, McFly, you bojo, those boards don't work on water unless you have power. <laughs> and I keep thinking about that guy and the fact that that's his one line in that movie. And that line has lived with me and just refuses to leave my brain. And I, I kind of want to track him down, not in a bad way, just want to kind of like just, just shake his hand and say, dude, that one moment has stuck with me for a lifetime. And it's kind of impressive. And honestly, it, it bothers me that that was so impactful. I mean, we have movies like, you know, Citizen Kane, The Godfather. And sure, we can all quote lines from Aliens as well with Bill Paxton. But how often do you stop and go, oh, my God, that line was ridiculous and it'll never leave my brain. So anyway, been thinking a lot about that guy. If anybody knows who he is or um, can get in touch with him, let me know. Just want to kind of let him know that uh, he, he broke cinema for me. It was a perfect line. Well, the character's name is Rafe Data Unger. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's his character's name. So you can start there and probably find the actor. Okay, never mind. I take it all back. I don't want to know anymore. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think he doesn't even remember saying that line. It's just on set one day. and <laughs> That would be beautiful. He's like, did I say that? And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> what have you done to me? <laughs> I'm sorry that that movie's been stealing your sleep. What a thing to uh, have hang over your head. Is this just a recent development or is this something that you've been living with, tormented for years since 1989 or whenever that fucking movie came out? (laughs) This this pops into my brain, I want to say, maybe like once every year, like to a really like heavy degree. Um, and I'll, I'll maybe struggle with it for like a week or two. And then after that, it'll, it'll disappear. I think my brain kind of goes like, dude, you can't live like this and just kind of pushes it to the side. But bam, out of it, like clockwork, it'll always come back. Um, it's just such a weird line. It's just, just a random weird line. And the, the way it's said, again, it's burned in my cerebral cortex. Okay, well, I've got some more th- burning news for you on this, Garrett. This guy's name is Ricky Dean Logan. And he's actually Carlos from Freddy's Dead. What? <laughs> yeah. Same actor. So he's tormenting you like Freddy tormented Carlos in his dreams. That's too much for me. I can't deal with that. All right, move on. Move on. McFly, you bojo! Don't burst all work on water! Unless you've got power! All right. Well, John... Anything uh, haunting your sleepless nights? Just normal existential dread. Nothing specific. <laughs> <laughs> I, ha- I don't. Yeah, I haven't watched any horror movies. I don't think because I am bad at my job. Uh, but I did watch something, or am watching something horror adjacent that crowded out all horror films. I'm watching Deadwood on HBO Max. Incredible show, uh, and it stars, or one of the stars is Brad Dorif. You know, probably best known. 
for playing Warm Tongue in The Lord of the Rings, uh, oh and God. also known as the voice of Chucky. Also, Exorcist 3, don't forget. Yes, exceptional there as well. I love when people do that. They're like, oh, probably like like Bobcat Goldway, probably best known as his side role in World's Best Dad. No, it's just like, <laughs> like the most random. Actually, he directed that, I think. But um, anyway, yeah, I love when people do that. They just like name like some random bit role. Uh, but as usual, he kills it in Deadwood, but I won't talk about Deadwood because there's nothing uh, horror related going on there besides him. Well, decided to dive deeper into the Aliens universe and started rewatching a lot of those movies. Uh, rewatched Prometheus and Alien Covenant and Prometheus is a very good movie. I think the, 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 the harsh critics need to tone it down a little bit. It's got a lot to say. I also picked up a alien graphic novel called Dead Orbit. I think it's a four shot. I haven't read it before. And I was just going to see Garrett. Have you checked out any of the aliens comics? Is there any that are worth checking out? Yeah, actually, there are a few that are pretty good. Um, I can post them on the social media. Some of the stories are really hit or miss. I mean, that franchise was owned by Dark Horse for a while. And they had they had some really good, interesting stories. But a lot of them kind of um, just delved into the familiar and kind of, you know, duplicated themselves a little bit too much to to be super enjoyable. But you know, I wouldn't call it breaking news because it's actually been coming out for a while. But in March... Marvel Comics has the right to the um, Aliens IP. So they're actually releasing an Aliens comic book run in March from Marvel Comics. Now, the one thing about that is Marvel with their, they recently got Conan, well, not recently, a couple years ago, got Conan. They've had the Star Wars franchise for a while. Those comics have been really good. Now, I'm not a Star Wars guy, but the stories have been really well written. They've got some of the best artists on board. The Conan comics, Mahmoud Asrar does the art. Oh my God, it's perfect. And Jason Aaron uh, from the Thor uh, run was writing it next level. So I have a lot of faith that Marvel's going to do a really interesting, really good um, Aliens run or Alien run. Uh, so check that out in March. Uh, Marvel Comics will be putting that out. Excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to some new Aliens ideas. I hope we can do more than just blow them out of the airlock at every issue. What I'm hearing is... We could get an Aliens WandaVision crossover episode. God damn it, Sean. This is why you're going to get kicked off the podcast. Because <laughs> I have nonstop good ideas? <laughs> yeah, that's why. <laughs> get out of here. You're too good. <laughs> uh, while I was in the comic shop uh, over the week to pick up that Dead Orbit story, I did see a cover with the Alien Queen and the X-Men on it. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And the comic shop owner is like, oh, that's just a special cover. Marvel took over the Aliens IP, so they're going to make some new stuff. So they put out some special variant covers. And I was like, oh, okay. Because it really had my brain going. I was like, is Professor X going to fucking mess around with the Alien Queen? Because that would be interesting. When you say mess around, what do you mean? Oh, you know what I mean. Cerebro, help me break through. Keep probing. I need a moment's rest. <laughs> Marvel's pretty good about doing a lot of uh, crossover covers as like secondary, you know, collector's items. I personally don't care for that because it confuses the the people that go in to pick up comics, as we saw firsthand with Mark. But um, they do kind of celebrate that and let artists take, you know, interesting takes on uh, variant covers and stuff like that. So. Very cool. Uh, only other thing I'm going to mention is that I'm finally diving into an area that I have a 
huge gap consumption of media, and that is a manga series called Uzumaki by Junji Ito. A friend of mine lent me the book. I'm finally going to dig into that. Um, I haven't read a lot of Japanese horror manga, so I'm really excited to see where this one goes. And I think this is one of the more popular ones around. Yeah, this is actually a pretty popular series. It's interesting. It's very hit or miss, just like most manga and anime. Um, You can find some gems that are just like next level blow your mind. And then sometimes you can just find some real duds. Uh, But uh, the art in that that run is very, very detailed and very top notch. Yeah, just flipping through before I jumped into the story, I was like, oh, these panels look pretty cool. So I'm excited. All right, unless there's anything else, gentlemen, let's talk about 1995's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. Now, I apparently recommended this film and tried to blame it on John before we started today. Uh, I'll start out with an apology. I, I'm i sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry I did this to you. It's not enough. Yeah, I'll say one of the scariest things about this otherwise unscary movie is how old 1995 is looking, y'all. Damn, I was alive back then. <laughs> it is looking uh, dated. I think John's speaking from his existential dread again. <laughs> like sands through the hourglass, time is fleeting, John. We're all going to die soon. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but you know who doesn't die in this movie by chainsaw? Any of the damn characters. <laughs> oh, dude. That was so. It's right in the title. You have one job if you're going to make a chainsaw massacre movie it is to massacre some people with a chainsaw preferably in texas i'm sorry john just broke me <laughs> it's so damn true that you have one fucking thing to do you had one job just the one so this one was written and directed by kim hinkle this one was filmed in 94 and it was screened at South by Southwest, where it got glowing reviews, apparently, according to Wikipedia. Then Columbia Pictures picked it up, uh, had a very limited release, and then immediately decided to shelve it for a couple of years. Now, it was originally called The Return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It wasn't until they re-edited it and released it in 97 that it gained the moniker of the next generation. Why did they hold it? Well, a little movie called Jerry Maguire had been filmed and they decided to pull it back and see if Renee Zellweger blew up and she did. And then they re-released it in 97. According to what I was able to find, Matthew McConaughey's representation tried to get this movie stopped from being released, uh, but they put it out anyway. I cannot understand why. It's almost (laughs) like he'd be ashamed of this thing or something. Yeah, he was the best part uh, of, I mean, admittedly the bar at the floor uh but every scene he was in i was like you know what all right all right all right god damn you i wondered how long it was going to be before someone did it <laughs> we are we are 28 minutes into recording and bam there it is glad i could get it out of the way he says it himself in the movie all right, all right, all right. <laughs> i i'm aware so this one was shot on a six hundred thousand dollar budget and made one hundred eighty-five thousand and eight hundred ninety-eight dollars. Wow! So smashing failure, probably due to the lack of chainsaw massacring. If I had to guess, mm-hmm. that's just one of its issues, man. <laughs> so this one is strange on Rotten Tomatoes. If you go look it up and try to find the score, it's kind of blank. But I found a sixteen percent when I just searched chainsaw. You know, when it shows you all the movies that are associated with the word chainsaw, but when you click on it, there's nothing there. But I'm going to go with 16%. Wow. 
I don't know what the audience score is, but that's what this one's rated. And it's actually lower than part three, which also we haven't done yet. And I assume the way we're rolling, we're going to do every Chainsaw movie before this podcast ends. <laughs> I think we've done more to this franchise than anything else at this point. And that's probably my fault. So again, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm starting to think there's some sort of campaign going on to prop this movie up on the internet because they're taking away Rotten Tomato scores. To your point, the Wikipedia article goes on and on and on about just how great everyone thinks this movie is. Um, calling shenanigans here. This movie's popular in the same reason that Neil Breen's Fateful Findings or Birdemic or any of those god-awful shitty movies that were never meant to be absolute trash but have just found an audience because they are absolute trash that's that's the only reason this movie is popular now don't get me wrong i enjoyed this movie from a complete jaw on the floor what the hell is happening who greenlit this who let these actors make these choices renee renee zellweger she has the effort of like a lethargic comatose like panda it, she just like she watches someone get killed and she goes you shouldn't do that and i'm like fuck you <laughs> like like i i was i was literally yelling at the tv like what the fuck is your problem i was so mad at this movie but honestly that in its own right was interesting because it got me so much more engaged than some of these normal horror movies just because it was so bad but i think that's what we're seeing here john is a a look back campaign of like oh my god it's so bad it's actually good well, so what you're saying is you wouldn't classify Zellweger's performance as Zellweger impresses in her strenuous scream-driven turn as Jenny. Get the fuck out of here. Who said that? Uh, that was from uh, the New York Daily News. Jesus Christ. What about... Oh, Variety says that this film manages the difficult feat of being genuinely scary and sharply self-satirical all at once. It's adept at keeping its audience in a constant state of jumpiness. I don't know what to say to those. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> exactly, no. Uh, yeah, I saw a lot of quotes like that too, John. Also saying how much of a great scream queen Renee is. And I'm like, mm, she screams a lot, but I wouldn't say she was particularly good at it. <laughs> she screams the way you scream when a moth attacks you, though, guys. I mean, it's like, ah, oh, God, it's a moth. OK, like that's her. <laughs> that's what she brings to this. The best screaming in this film is done by Leatherface himself. Oh, who never shuts up. Ah! You sit the fuck down. Ah! Shut up. Dude, that was the most annoying part. What was with all of that just screaming? I have a note here that says Sam Kinison is Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that, that kept coming up in a lot of these reviews that I was able to look up online is just like people amazed and impressed that they kept making Leatherface more and more drag queen-esque. And even on the back of the DVD I have here says that Leatherface crosses divine with Hannibal Lecter. And I'm like, I think you're giving this too much credit, y'all. Like, he literally just whines and, and screams through the whole movie. A whole lot of non-chainsawing happening and a lot of screaming like a, a, a woman. And what I could find on this is that Kim Henkel decided that it was going to be different personas would come over Leatherface depending on which face he wears. So this movie, we're treated to him wearing a female's uh, uh, skin. That's why he's acting this way. I can kind of see that because his personality does change in Texas Chainsaw Massacre too, and he has like the different 
like lady face on because when he puts on that that old lady's mask he kind of takes on like the motherly figure but man it's executed so abstractly that you don't even care yeah and i think my biggest criticism of this film is going to be it's just mostly unfocused it doesn't feel like they had a good script how many times did Zellweger escape the house just to be brought back into the kitchen? I mean, I think most of the movie takes place in the... Oh, oh, by the way, they're not the Sawyer family. They're the Slaughter family this time. How many times do they sit around in this kitchen with McConaughey just abusing females? This, this movie is Texas female abuse. It's not a chainsaw massacre of any kind. I thought you were going to say how many times we end up in this kitchen with McConaughey abusing remotes. <laughs> that too. <laughs> that too. I've got a lot to say about his remote controlled leg that doesn't make any fucking sense, but we'll get there in a little bit. I also don't understand the decision to make them also incompetent. Like, I don't believe they could have murdered a single person, let alone be part of some global conspiracy. Like when they put that one lady in the ch- the freezer and kept being surprised that even though it wasn't locked, she could open it. And it was like four times. And it's like, oh, is this a slapstick comedy? What's happening right now? I'm so sorry for laughing in your ear. That movie, that I mean, that moment had me crying because like, it was like what? On the sixth attempt, I was like, oh, I should put something on top of this. I was like, you fucking moron. Yeah. Oh, that, I mean, that's the thing is like, and I, I legitimately wondered like, was that in the script? It was like, he puts, Leatherface puts girl in freezer, walks away, and she just kept accidentally opening it. And <laughs> he was like, I got to do something. We're filming. <laughs> like, that's the level of, of these scenes. And it is just baffling to me that they, they just, they were like, we got it. Next scene. Yeah. Well, let's see who's in this one. Renee Zellweger as Jenny, Matthew McConaughey as Vilmer. Robert Jacks as Leatherface Slaughter, Tony Perinsky as Darla, Joe Stevens as W.E. Slaughter, Lisa Marie Numer as Heather, John Harrison as Sean, Tyler Shea Cohn as Barry, and James Gale as Mr. Rothman. Get ready for a DVD back of the box that makes very little sense to me. Here we go. You ready? When a helpful family invites two lost couples in for a good old down-home massacre, the prom night teens find themselves all dressed up with nowhere to escape. And then there's some crap about Zellweger and McConaughey being in this hilarious, bone-chilling remake. Well, at least it's short. That that can't be real. It's. I mean, I've got a, a screenshot of the DVD, and this is the back of it. That doesn't make any sense. There's no two couples invited anywhere, unless I just dozed off when I was so bored. There are the so they instead of calling them prom night dates, they called them couple, right? Because there's Jenny and her boyfriend, and who the first one to die, I don't even remember his name. Sean, Heather, and uh, the other guy, Barry. So they are two couples. Okay, so when it says when a helpful family invites two lost couples in it's it's being cheeky is that what you're telling me yeah that's what i'm thinking it's going for now the back of the box is actually illuminating because it calls it hilarious was this movie intended to be funny i mean it didn't succeed not on purpose but what were they trying we're in tommy was so room area with that i think this movie was not intended to be hilarious 
And then it ended up being hilarious and they leaned the fuck into it. I buy that. I also wonder if maybe they decided it was supposed to be funny after they filmed it and be like, no, no, it's a it's a parody of the original. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they watched it. That's what Tommy was so did with the room. Like he made that film and then like later on, like in his live screenings and stuff, he's like, oh, it was always meant to be funny. And it's like, mm, not buying it, my dude. That's what we're seeing here. Um. But to be fair, they don't invite couples there because let's be honest, the couples aren't together when they come to the house. Mm-hmm. In fact, the guys are dead. <laughs> Barry and Lisa are the only ones that show up as a couple. And to be fair, they don't invite them in as a couple. They invite them in one at a time. Uh, there is no Lisa in this movie. So I don't... Wait, I thought Lisa was the uh, the girl that gets meat hooked. Do you mean Heather? That's Heather. <laughs> oh, Heather. <laughs> You are tearing me apart, Lisa! Okay, Lisa is the actress, Garrett. That's probably where you got that. Okay, my bad, my bad. Real quick before we get into it, uh, let me read you the tagline on the back of this DVD. If looks could kill, he wouldn't need a chainsaw. I kind of like that. I kind of actually like that. (laughs) I don't understand it, but okay. Because he's so horrific putting on people's skin that if looks could kill John, he wouldn't need to kill with the chainsaw. But isn't the saying, if looks could kill, mean you're good looking? That's a good point. My small walnut brain can't handle this tagline. Well, maybe they're maybe they are pointing out how ugly he is because if looks could kill, he would need a chainsaw. The problem is he's so ugly, he needs the chainsaw. Oh, shit. All right. You, you cracked it, Garrett. I, I, I'm in now. But except I'm going to flip it on you again. He doesn't use the chainsaw to kill anybody. <laughs> <laughs> he tries. He's just bad at it. He is. It's like he had. You're bad at your job. It's like he had never used a chainsaw before. Like this was the first time he'd seen one. He ever heard of one. So he was feeling it out. Maybe that's. You know, part of it being the next, if there was a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation part two, maybe he'd be better with the chainsaw. I don't know. <laughs> if this movie wanted to say it was a comedy, he should have had like a, like a turkey cutter <laughs> and used that at the end of the film. You know what I'm saying? Like electric knife. I mean, there's so many ways to kind of lean into the like, oh, it's supposed to be tongue in cheek, but th- this was not. This was just a... Yeah. A movie that lost $400,000 and they're trying their best to be like, hey, no, no, it's all good. We meant to do this. All right. The thing is, they put him in opportunities where he could kill with the chainsaw and then they just bungle it or he just bungles it. (sighs) That's my sound for this movie. (laughs) Deep sigh. (laughs) Before we hop into the plot, I just want to kind of get into the weeds here about using the phrase next generation or the return of as it was originally titled. If this is some sort of soft reboot, it's not the return or the next generation. Like John said, uh, you know, Star Trek, the next generation takes place in the same timeline. So what is this? This they're not even Sawyers. Now they're slaughters. Is this and we've seen uh, Leatherface die in Texas Chainsaw 2. So is this a brand new person who just became a Leatherface? You know, is it like the Miles Morales Spider-Man? Like it's just a guy wearing the Leatherface moniker? I can actually explain this because I was so confused by what happened at the end of this movie that not the final scene, but the the end concept that I, I actually went down like a an hour long like rabbit hole trying to find any information that like made sense of it. Kim Hinkle intended for this movie to be the sequel to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, ignoring the sequels that had been made prior to it. This was supposed to be his part two, if you will. 
further down the road. So at the end, when we see those two people in the hospital, those are original characters from the first one. And, and, you know, basically inferring that this is basically is like one continuous time frame and they're seeing what happens here. But yes, these are supposed to be new people that have taken on the moniker of the Sawyers and continue to do what had been done. And at the beginning of this film, they even and then they fucked that up because at the beginning of this film, they reference the two other sequels. Well, they do it in such a way that I was like, oh, that is a sick fucking burn. Next generation. <laughs> it refers to part two and three as minor incidences that may or may not have been involved with the original massacre. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck, man? <laughs> yeah, I, the balls on this film to insult any other film. It's incredible. Yeah, the, this was intended to basically be the the sequel think Halloween 2018 that I think that's what Kim Hinkle was going with based off all the information that I found, um, which says that that's what he wanted to. Okay. I wonder if Toby Hooper gave his blessing on that or not. Cause Toby did Texas chainsaw too. I would be kind of mad if my writer or guy who worked with me on the original was like, nah, fuck your movie, bro. I'm making the true sequel. Your minor yet maybe related movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that that's what I read was a, was a, was the intent of this film. But if that is the case, then none of this makes sense whatsoever. I think it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, regardless of what movies exist in the franchise or not. (laughs) (laughs) True, true. But you're right. Yeah, so this one kicks off just as the original 74 film does with the still image of text and some guy reading it, but not doing as good a job, I think, as John Larroquette did in 74. But if this is a parody film, then they're they're starting off aping the original. Like Garrett said, it, it distances itself from two and three. And now here we are introing into some kids getting ready for the prom. It starts with, with like Renee Zellweger putting on lipstick and then taking it off, being like, never mind. I guess that's supposed to be some insight into her character. We cut to just prom antics going on someone's chasing another person it's ridiculous and heather's looking for her boyfriend barry she eventually you know she's asking around hey have you seen barry have you seen barry uh she probably says the word barry 25 to 30 times within three minutes it was outrageous yeah she got paid by the berries in this one I would like to also point out that Barry is within earshot of his date slurping down the tongue of another girl. (laughs) Barry, you're about to be found out, buddy. Do you give a shit or not? That's my first note. Yeah. (laughs) He seems so surprised whenever Heather comes around the pillar where he's smooching with this girl and she's like, (laughs) Barry, how dare you? And he's like, what? I was just talking to her. I'm like, oh, get off it. And Barry's like the worst character in this movie. He's such a piece of shit. He's so terrible. Like right away. He first he's like, oh, it was just one kiss. What's the big deal? Barry, I don't know if you know how relationships work. But unless you've already discussed this with your significant other, the correct amount of kisses is zero. You can kiss zero other people. Well, not not if you find a good one, John, if you know what I'm saying. Hey, oh, man. But uh, yeah, no, my first note is there's no way Barry didn't hear, hear this shit because <laughs> she is yelling it. She's like, Barry, Barry. And I'm just like, dude, you're like five feet away, man. Like kudos to Barry for being focused on what needs to be done. He is not distracted by anything around him. Um, I did have one question, though, because before Heather goes looking for Barry, she walks out with one of her friends 
and her friend is like, he's doing the same shit. Did that girl have Tourette's? Were you supposed to like, like she was doing weird stuff with her arm and she was like repeating herself. And I was like, I thought like, oh, we might actually have like, you know, representation of, you know, someone with a, a an illness. And that's kind of interesting. We have a, a very unique character as a main character who has Tourette's or something like that. No, that character just disappears immediately. And I was like, damn it. Yeah. I forgot that character was in this movie until you just brought her up again. But yeah, you're right. It's it was like, is this a choice? Is this how she is? I don't know. It was I, I that was more interesting than the rest of the movie, and it didn't follow this character around. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I want to see a movie about her. Yeah. Well, while uh, while Heather is looking for Barry, Barry, where's Barry? We were introduced to Renee Zellweger's date, Sean. Sean. <laughs> Sean. Right. He dies so fast. I forget about him. Well, it's easy to forget because they don't say Sean seven million times like they say Barry. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, so Heather gets pissed off at Barry, and Barry starts pursuing Heather when she ju- jumps in his car and starts to drive away, but then lets him in the car anyway. Right, well, because she's, she's stealing his car. She had to let him in, or she just committed a felony. She just jumped <laughs> in this guy's car and started driving away. But to their surprise, Zellweger and Sean are hiding in the back seat, smoking a joint, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, getting high. Why did they pick his car? Why did they pick Barry's car? Great question. They probably had their own car. Two, throughout the movie, they imply that Jenny is this like straight edge sort of nerdy character, yet she's also getting high in the back seat of a another person's car with her boyfriend seems like conflicting uh messages this movie's trying to send me about this character maybe she was just there for support you know she wanted to support sean and his getting high so she was like i'll join you (laughs) well here's here's a little bit of information i can give you um that was cut out of the movie again when this was titled the return of the texas chainsaw massacre it got re-edited when it became the next generation they cut out seven minutes of the film and part of the cut was in uh, Jenny's backstory. Apparently, she was an abused daughter by her stepfather. Hmm. And that is why she's able to handle the weirdness of Matthew McConaughey and the Slaughter family later a little better than others, I guess. Yeah. And remember, because at the beginning, John, when you were talking about um, Renee Zellweger putting on uh, lipstick, like you can hear in the background, like her stepfather and her mother, like arguing and fighting and the mom getting slapped and she's just not even letting it bother her. So, and then they mention it later on. Um, Heather mentions it like, oh yeah, she's from like her mom, like has had multiple husbands and gets beat up all the time. And she, na, 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 na. so yeah, they, they do give us a little bit of a hint of it, but yeah, they do cut it out of the film. Cause I, I saw that too, Mark. I saw there was a director's cut with seven extra minutes and I was like, fuck you. I was like, <laughs> I don't even know it was cut, but I guarantee you, no, I'm glad that does not exist. <laughs> Pass. Heather and Barry are astonishingly cool with the fact that Sean and Jenny are in their car. So now my question to y'all is, are they, friends like are they long time friends because it's very confusing the relationship these four characters have with each other before they all ended up in this car i don't know once again we're presented with a group of survivors that all suck (laughs) and none of them seem like they're friends yeah you know what i mean like why would these people hang out with barry he's the he's barry is the epitome of rich kid uh, uh, mentality, right? The the he owns the world. Everything is owned to him. Yeah. So I guess we should talk about the worst conversation that has ever been filmed in cinema. Barry gets in the car 
And he's like, first he tries, it was just one kiss. What's the big deal? Then he tries, this is your fault anyway, because I'm a guy and guys need to have sex. So uh, obviously I have to cheat on you. What am I supposed to do? Jerk off the rest of my life? It's not my fault if you're frigid. I am not. Look, guys need sex, okay? It's bad if you get all worked up and then not get it. You can get prostate cancer. Is that what you want? That's his logic. (laughs) They get blue balls and can get cancer down there. You don't want me to get cancer. And then Heather's response is, yeah, that's true. He wouldn't look attractive missing his hair because of cancer drugs. (laughs) And I was like, oh, baby girl, you have serious issues you need to go to therapy about if that's your fucking takeaway from this. Right? And then we find out that Barry, this isn't the first time Barry used this line, because he also used to tell girls that he needed to feel them up because otherwise they'll get breast cancer. Because he says his dad's a doctor. He's like, I know this because my dad's a doctor. And Renee Zellweger's like, what is Renee's character? So I can quit calling her Renee Zellweger. Jenny. Jenny is like, that's not true. That's wrong. He's like, my dad's a doctor. I know. (laughs) And she's like, nope, bullshit. But the thing is, Heather is not phased. Heather's like, checks out. Makes sense to me. (laughs) Yeah. She's so bought in to the whole, she did this work in the nineties? I hope not, but what a terrible, terrible guy. I have a note, my, my notes that basically says, I got to try these lines out. (laughs) (laughs) My, my note says no sex equals cancer. (laughs) Yeah. As horrible as Barry is, Heather is also kind of a piece of shit too. I mean, there's a scene where they end up in this office building. Well, a trailer really, where she's sitting two feet away from a water cooler and she's like, someone bring me water. And I'm like, Oh, you dumb. Get, just get it yourself. Reach over there and push the button. What's wrong with you? She's the worst. I love how Mark just paused and was like, you dumb. Like he just held the word bitch back so hard there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I'm sorry. She is the epitome of that in this movie. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. So after the sex conversation comes another weird throwaway line they never mention again. Heather's just driving and she goes, you know what would be cool? What if I drove into the back of another car and we all died? They could make a song out of us. That's the whole thing. Yeah, I kind of wish they would have done that and ended this movie 40 minutes early. (laughs) If this was a Jacob's Ladder type scenario, I would understand this movie a lot better. But alas, it is not. (laughs) They do get in a wreck, though. Yeah, so they turn down a road that they go, there's nowhere to turn around. And then they make the mistake of showing the car on the road. And it is very possible to turn around. Barry's like, there's never anywhere to turn around. But do they not know about three-point U-turns in 1995? That line really stuck out to me too, John. Just like, oh, uh, there's plenty of room. What are you talking about, Barry? (laughs) They they hadn't invented them yet. Jenny hits a car because they're arguing and she's not paying attention on this road that they can't turn around and that they can totally turn around on. (laughs) They hit this car. They all get out and they're like, oh, me, oh my. I can't believe that just happened. And um, they look at the, the driver of the other car falls to the ground he might be dead. And they start freaking out. They're like, oh my God, we've got to get help. We got to do something. So they send... um, Jenny goes and everyone leaves with Jenny and leaves poor Sean all alone. But they were... When they hit this car, they jumped to that guy being dead. So they didn't even... They didn't even check on him. They're like, oh, he's definitely dead. 
We totally killed this guy. It was a very, I know what you did last summer situation. Yeah, but he's not really dead. No. He's like, he's just really severely hurt. And Sean kind of realizes that. But um, we'll get back to Sean in a second. But yeah, so Jenny goes off to get um, to get help. And she takes one of those big oversized giant um, flashlights. And I will tell you this. If the Foley person who made the shake batteries in a flashlight sound didn't get paid most of this budget, I'm going to be pissed off because they <laughs> use that sound effect a billion times in this movie. <laughs> this was the second time I knew I would not like this movie. Once after Barry, but then they bring this flashlight and they go on and on and on about how dark it is. And everything is just so bright. And it's not even like fake movie night bright where everything's blue. It's just regular old huge lights bright and i was like uh i know i'm supposed to like buy in into movie use your imagination but they didn't even try a little bit because like when the flashlight goes out they lit the forest yeah they're like oh we can't see shit but i mean they didn't trip they were very capable of seeing each other it was they may they should have said oh thank god it's a full moon and we're very well lit i would have bought that more well there is a point where um barry takes the flashlight and then gets spooked somehow spook it um and then drops the flashlight picks it up and he's like oh no this thing won't work and he shakes it and it turns itself on and then he hits it and turns it off he's like i guess it's broken (laughs) and i was like you dummy and i have to wonder did it turn on by accident he's like i gotta fix this real quick or did uh (laughs) was barry just that dumb but anyway uh, (laughs) so at this point the the crew is walking and in the middle of an the way it looks is like they're in the middle of the forest. So in the middle of nowhere. But yep, sure enough, they stumble upon a little gas station and a, a mobile home. Not a mobile home, but like a prefab small little like home. Trailer. So this is my favorite scene in the, the movie um, because they show up at this trailer. I imagine and correct me if I'm wrong. It's got to be 930, 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, they left prom. Oh, yeah, that's what it feels like. (laughs) So they show up at this little like office trailer. They they go in and this woman who is in the most wonderful, like early 90s shoulder padded out, like pantsuit type thing um, is in there. And she's like, oh, come on in. Don't worry about it. They kind of tell their story of what happened. She's like, oh, well, I'll call Vilmer let him know what's going on. And she makes a little fake phone call. And, and it's one of those great movie fake phone calls where she only waits like half a second between her line before saying the next line. There's no way the person could have responded. Um, so she's like, it's okay. They got a tow truck on their way. They'll, they'll help your guy out. And she's like, what can I do for y'all? And at this point, I don't even remember how the conversation goes, but she is just a piece of work. And then she, <laughs> they, someone throws a rock through her window and they're like, oh, my God. And she's like, don't worry about it. Watch this. And she goes there and just flashes them like her her tits. And she's like, it's either uh, creepy old men or young boys just trying to get a piece. And she is on board for this. Like, this is like she's like, yep. You want to increase the level of vandalism in your town? Start awarding them with titties. <laughs> then you're going to get rocks through every window of every doctor's office uh, <laughs> everywhere. It's going to be bad. <laughs> uh, I want to go back to another a point you made earlier about how the layout of where they are doesn't make any sense because they're supposedly in this dusty dirt back road. They find this gas station slash trailer Uh, eventually we find that she, from there, it's like a five-minute drive to an HEB, 
And then it's like another five minute drive back to the house. So they're, they can't be as far away from civilization as they want to pretend. Oh, everything's a hop, skip, and a jump from each other. Like Jenny runs from the the slaughterhouse to the um, the office trailer to the site of the crash in the span of like three minutes. And I'm not talking like movie three minutes. I'm talking like legitimate. Like <laughs> she doesn't even break a sweat. Like she could she could briskly walk and be there faster than a car could get started and get there. Yeah, no, it's so weird because they back like they're in the middle of nowhere. And then you come up to this little like little small town type situation. And what was funny, though, is you look at the the gas station. It is so run down and ratty and stuff like that. And then you look at this like little prefab home that uh, this lady's in and it's like perfectly brand new. (laughs) I'm just like, (laughs) did they build this for the movie or what? Let me see if I can help out a little bit. This is how I'm picturing this place in my mind. Okay, so these this lady's office is like a pop-up trailer and you'll oftentimes see these on construction sites or say like uh, equipment rental places. Like if you need to get a forklift or some type of big machine, you'll see these like trailer pop-up offices. A lot of times those are on the outskirt of town. So I think we're supposed to believe that they are literally on the very outskirts, like right before the city limits. You know, if you drive through those small towns, you start seeing businesses uh, before you get to the actual town. I think that's where they're at. When we say slaughterhouse, we don't mean for animals. The family, the slaughter family's house is out on some farm on the outskirt of town. Yeah. Let me ask you a quick question, you guys. Maybe you can answer this real quick and don't waste too much time. What the fuck does this woman do? Like, what is her job? Because she's clearly there at 10 p.m. doing fuck all, as far as I can tell, other than flashing the local town residents. I think there's a throwaway line about real estate. I think she's in some sort of real estate uh, to Mark's point. Maybe she sell, maybe they're selling lots. I don't, I mean, yeah, it makes zero sense why she's there at this time of night, except that the plot needed her to be there. Yes. Um, except it really didn't. They totally could have cut her whole character out and just had Vilmer drive up on them by accident. I would not cut her character out, John, because I think she's one of the, she has one of the more interesting scenes to me. And it's when she goes to pick up pizzas and burgers at the, at the drive through. That was the only time that I felt any real tension. Well, we'll get there. Let's just say we'll get there. Yeah, but even I, I didn't feel tension there either because even her threat was lame. She's like, I'll have to put tape over your mouth. It's like, really? That's the threat? I'll, I was going to save it for later, but whenever the cop is walking up on her and he's about to discover the body in the trunk, I was like, oh shit, they're going to get popped right now. And she closes it right at the last second. And I was like, oh man, that was the most intense the movie got for me okay that's true i will agree with you there that was probably the best shot best filmed part to move this along i will say one thing real quick and i just thought about this um and we'll talk about some of this more as we go this movie though posits a lot and i mean a lot of what we see in the the 2003 texas chainsaw massacre remake that was actually written by kim hinkle as well and two others we see a lot of things from this movie make a reappearance in that remake that i thought was amazing like for instance the town seeming to be normal but actually in on the family uh, with uh, Arlie emery's character and this uh, real estate woman we see that plot device come back we see the meat hook come back we see so many little like seeds that were planted in this movie make a recurrence in the the 2003 remake, which were great. So it's really weird to see how poorly they were executed here and then done correctly later on. It almost feels like this movie is a first draft. It's a movie I think that could have been better with some more rewrites and some, like I said, if, if they could focus it a little no, better. No, just stop. 
Stop, Mark. Like, I'm sorry. I'm going to cut you off right now. Let's just get back to the plot. Do not finish that sentence. There's nothing that could have made this movie better. <laughs> there is literally a line halfway through this movie where the real estate lady goes, I think they might be aliens. And I I literally turned to my roommate who was watching this movie. And I was like, I swear to God, these people better be fucking aliens because otherwise this makes no fucking sense at all. <laughs> There's nothing that could have saved this film other than them being actual aliens. <laughs> After Darla calls Vilmer to get the tow truck out, the prom kids decide, I got to go check on Sean. We got to go make sure everybody's okay. And they exit the scene and they're walking back towards the crash site. Barry and Heather decide they need to go get help. And a truck passes them and they try to wave it down and it doesn't stop. Well, they decide then they're going to run after it forever <laughs> until they're out of the scene. And they just leave Jenny alone with the flashlight. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? Terrible friends. But my favorite part is the truck more than just doesn't stop. It actively swerves around them to not pick them up. (laughs) (laughs) If that's not a hard no, let's talk about Barry not picking up on hard no's. I'm sure he's in trouble. Like, you know, he's probably had to go on a court several times. For (laughs) Barry grew up to be Brett Kavanaugh. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Let's go. Uh, Barry. But now Jenny is isolated and alone and Heather and Barry wander up to the Slaughter's farmhouse where they just walk up, start banging on the door. Hey, we need some help out here. And then Barry's like, fuck it. I'm going to try to go in through the back. Heather sits down on the porch swing and there's a scene where Leatherface creeps up behind her and she doesn't notice him playing with her hair at all. You know, this giant man, you wouldn't hear him breathing. You wouldn't sense something was directly behind you. Yeah, you would. Heather wouldn't. (laughs) Yeah. And then, as we mentioned earlier, she gets snapped up and taken in and thrown into a refrigerator very clumsily by Leatherface. Barry and uh, Heather do end up at the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre house. And I was excited to see that it was the same one from the original, because as our listeners know, we went and uh, had lunch and visited this place. I will tell you this. A creepy house in a horror movie loses quite a bit of its oomph and power once you've had chicken fingers inside of it. Yeah. Oh, I had coffee in that room. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, that's a little side note. Don't don't go to a creepy environment and have a, a, a delicious meal if you want to keep that place creepy in your mind. <laughs> well, Garrett, actually, while the house looks similar, I think it's the same model, just in reverse as the original. So I don't think it's the actual house we went and had coffee and, and tea and Bloody Mary's in, but it is the similar floor plan. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it, it looked very similar and I was like, ooh, I've eaten there before, but yeah, no. I you Okay, if it's not the same house, they definitely went for the same aesthetic at it as it, uh, but I appreciated that. Again, there's there's choices in this movie that like, you know, like they, you can tell they did it from a place of like love and like, hey, let's have some fun and kind of try to reinvent this a little bit. I love the idea of a more modern kind of weird Sawyer family. But yeah, Mark, you make a good point. Like this huge dude tiptoes behind her on this creaky wooden. I mean, and when people walk across it, it creaks when he walks across it. Not a fucking sound. And I'm okay with it for the horror movie aspect, but it just seemed so awkward. Like he had to suck in his gut and squeeze between the the rocking chair and the back wall to fit is what it looked like. And I was like, dude, you're definitely going to notice that like. The cat can't creep up on me without me turning my head and going, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> While that's going on, Barry gets stopped by, 
I almost want to call him my second favorite character, but he annoys the hell out of me. Um, educated Hillbilly One. Uh, I don't know the name of this character, but he's the guy who keeps quoting all the uh, the famous like lines from famous people throughout history. Like every time he's all like, what are you doing here? And it's all like, Ulysses S. Grant said it is better to die a man than die on your knees or, you know, whatever the fuck these quotes are. But I was just like, oh, God, all he does is talk in these like quotes from famous people. Did you guys like that or was that just really annoying to you? I didn't like that character at all. That's Ulysses S. Grant. Bet you didn't know that was Ulysses. And I'm like, oh, man, you're just one of these guys that thinks you're smart and you're you're really stupid. <laughs> yeah, it was just confusing. It goes back to Mark's point of the movie's so unfocused. Am I supposed to laugh at him? The answer is that supposed is never. To... My number one question is, when was this movie supposed to be scary? It's when you're alone with Barry. That's when it's scary. Yeah, seems like never. Uh, and this guy did not help at all. And that was the point of his character. <laughs> Barry's the real villain. But like in the original and in the remakes, this whole family seems off, but they seem ominous, right? They're scary. You're like, mm, I don't want to be with these people. If you met that guy, you wouldn't be scared. With You'd just be like, dude, please. Like all these choices of characters, it seems like no one. It's like it's like they handed him the script and said, go develop your character and then come back. We're filming next week. Like there's no discussion. Because one guy, uh, Matthew McConaughey, is a robot serial killer. Um, other guy is Chop Top's illegitimate son who got an education. Um, real estate lady with the incredible tits is what? She's just a weirdo who likes being abused by Matthew McConaughey. I don't even know. Her character's super confusing because she chooses to be in this environment because later on there's another line where she's like, you know, I could just leave and go back to my husband at any time. I thought they said, doesn't she say that she has a bomb in her brain? Yes. <laughs> like, that's why she isn't leaving? <laughs> yes. Yeah. She says she can't leave because McConaughey put a bomb in all their brains and that's why they're there. But this is also after she was having a heart-to-heart -heart moment with, uh, with Jenny where she was like, because Jenny was like, you can leave, you can help me get out of here. And she's like, I wish I could, but I think they're aliens. That's the only reason I can come up with. And then later on, she drops the whole bomb in her brain. And I was like, oh my God, this is how QAnon started. <laughs> it's so fucking bizarre that she just believes this shit with no evidence to the contrary whatsoever. But Heather gets picked up, taken inside the house by Leatherface. As we mentioned, there's the whole like run around the house. They they run through this house a million times being chased by people. He, she gets put in the, the freezer, which doesn't close. They finally get that resolved. Then Barry tricks the, uh, the hillbilly with the shotgun that he wants to go inside, locks the hillbilly out with a shotgun. And he's like, I got to pee. Barry at this point is now looking for a bathroom in the Sawyer or the, in the slaughterhouse slash Sawyer house. This place is like, hoarders level horrific there every every look of this place is like i should not be in here but he goes into a bathroom finds the dirtiest fucking train spotting bathroom i've ever seen and then whips his dick out there's some crazy guy outside with a shotgun locked him out though you should have seen me now i'm sorry this may be a personal thing, but if I'm ever in a situation where I'm in a Texas chainsaw house being attacked by hillbillies or whatever, I'm not whipping my dick out, period. I'm just gonna piss my pants and keep going. Cause you know what? I'm pretty sure I can justify pissing myself in that kind of situation. Fuck. 
this is classic Barry behavior. He thought he won. He when he tricks the hillbilly and he's like, ha ha ha. Uh, he calls like, gotcha, idiot. Or he says something like that. And then he just assumes he's won and he's perfectly safe. Now, this is his house because Barry's a moron. Whose house runs house. <laughs> Barry is exuding 100 percent of feeling safe within his stature and his family's name and wealth. He's threatening this maniac with legal action. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? He's like, you better stop or my daddy's going to get you. <laughs> and then he's walking around like he owns the place. And he's that's why he thinks he's won. He's, ne- he's probably never been in a situation where his stature in, in society hasn't gotten him out of trouble. I believe it. And that's really interesting, too, because like the whole early part of this movie, he's saying like, oh, my dad's a doctor. My dad's a doctor. But in this scene, he says, my dad's a lawyer. And I was like, yo, what does his dad really do? Because you're right, Mark, he's clearly gotten off of being held accountable for his actions multiple times. But what exactly is his dad? Because there's no way you can go to med school and law school and complete both and still be young enough to uh, to practice. Well, the thing you need to know about Barry is he's a fucking liar. This is true. This is very true. <laughs> After he's done peeing, he comes across a dead body, right? Like it's just chilling in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the bathtub body. That was really gross looking. I actually enjoyed the bathtub body. Was it in a, a, a tub of shit or was it mud? It was like decomposed human body in like old water. Like imagine if a body had just decomposed in a half filled tub for who knows how long, but it was it was grody. It was like really gnarly. Well, this is the time Barry realizes he may be in mortal danger because then his persona changes. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, no, we got to get out of here. And that's when he gets picked up by Leatherface, right? And then he's taken into the room with a refrigerator that uh, Heather's in. Heather manages to get out and then she gets meat hooked. Finally, I thought the movie was going to turn around here because after all that bullshit with the freezer, he just finally picks her up and puts her on a hook. It's like, start with that next time, you crazy killer. (laughs) Let's also point out that Leatherface was being bested by a 90 pound girl in multiple scenes. Like she's like pushing him back and he's like falling over. I'm like, dude, you've got to weigh 240. Easy. Yeah. There's no way this 90 pound girl is going to push you and like knock you back and stun you. And she's not even pushing hard. She's just kind of slapping at him. And he's like, whoa, like he's on like marbles or banana peels. Everything about this movie just was so baffling. All right. So Barry's quote unquote dead. Yeah, bludgeoned. But earlier, as all this is going on, Jenny is walking through the forest trying to go back to to meet Sean. Now, earlier in the movie, Sean gets pulled up on by McConaughey in the tow truck. And he's like, oh, thank God you're here, mister. You know, we had a car accident. This guy needs help. McConaughey gets out and he's like, that kid's dead. And he's like, no, no, he's not. He's still alive. We heard him like mumbling to himself. McConaughey lifts the kid up, twists his neck, breaks his neck and goes, no, that kid's dead. When McConaughey's character, Velmer, shows up, he is out the gate killer. There's no lead up. There's no subtlety. It's just like snap. He's dead. Sean starts freaking out and then gets chased by McConaughey in the tow truck for a while. And it is a good time right now to mention the soundtrack and how it completely negates any intensity or awesomeness of any scene. It is the ultimate like mid 90s butt rock and it's so bad and they play it so loud. So he's chasing them down and he hits them and he runs over them like what? 17 times? 20 times? Many, many, many times. <laughs> yeah, I lost count. So two questions about Sean's death. Uh, first, 
How long was McConaughey chasing him, right? Because he starts running, the movie cuts, and Sean's out of breath. And it felt like it had only been like three minutes. Now, is Sean just that out of shape? Or did McConaughey run him for miles? He's busy smoking pot, John. His lungs don't work that well. (laughs) There you go. I was going to say he's asthmatic, but um, that works too. But yeah, no. and And a good point to that is he's running... He should have been at the the trailer, like the way he's running. They should have got, he should have like caught up to the rest of those people at that point by the time McConaughey actually hit mm-hmm. him. But yeah, McConaughey runs him over so many damn times. And then, but also second point, uh, Sean went to the Prometheus school of running away from things on either side of him, heavily wooded. He's running right down the middle of the road, trying to outrun a car. If he had just gone left or right, he would have been in the woods. At least he would have been on foot versus on foot. Yeah. Excellent point. That one that one always drives me nuts in movies where it's just like break left, break right, stop being an idiot. But, you know, hey, roads are comforting. <laughs> it, it did look like that Radiohead Karma Police video at one point. And I was like, oh, classic. Um, I thought that might have been a nod to it. But then I realized that album came out after this movie. And I was like, oh, that's definitely not a nod to it. Maybe Radiohead is a fan of this movie. Whoa, that would blow my fucking mind if that video was based on this <laughs> stupid ass movie. <laughs> but um <laughs> So anyway, Sean gets killed. So back to Renee Zellweger, who is trying to find Sean. What is she? She runs across McConaughey at this point. How Jenny survived this far in life astonishes me. If there was any red (laughs) sirony emergency, like this is a rapist situation, they were all going off because she waves him down. She opens the door and he's right away super creepy. She's like, Hey, can you help me? Can you give me a ride? He's like, yeah, sure. She's like, where are you going? He's like, uh, you know, wherever I want. Uh, I don't remember. He asked, like, she asked all these questions and he doesn't answer any of them. Then he starts to drive off and she's like, all right, I'm going to get in anyway. It's like, oh, what are you <laughs> yes. doing? She's got fear of missing out because she jumps in the car immediately when he's like, all right, I don't need this. I'm out of here. And she's like, wait, 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 wait. I'll get in the car. She gets in the car. And he starts immediately saying stuff that, like, you should just jump out the car while it's moving. That's how, like, warning sign it is. Yeah. You got to watch getting into cars with strangers these days. I heard about an old man once. Picked up a little girl on the side of the road. Shot both her arms off and stuck her in the culvert. Left her for dead. God, I fucking hate that. I mean, that sorry son of a bitch didn't have shit for an imagination. How fucking simple can you get? Stop, you're scaring me. Scaring you? You're not scared. You don't know shit about being scared, little girl. Not yet. But then he's like, are you scared yet? You're not yet. Wait just a moment. Look behind you. And she's just like, no, I don't want to. And it's like, dude, that is not the proper response. (laughs) So that whole scene goes on for about what feels like ages. She finally says, if you stop the car, I'll look behind me. And then he does, grabs her, shoves her against the window. She sees Sean's dead body with another dead dude. And her response is this. Oh, God, no. (laughs) To that timber and that excitement level. She's like, oh, God, no. And it's like, that is your dead boyfriend. I expect a little bit more than, nope, that's it. That's a bummer. Um, So at this point, she jumps out the car. She does a smart thing and runs into the woods. So McConaughey chases her to the woods, and then he's like, oh, you don't even know the shit you just started. Drives away, and somehow Leatherface is right behind her. And it makes no sense, but there he is. 
Coincidence? I think not! After being chased by Leatherface, she ends up at the house that Barry and Heather are at. She runs upstairs, sees a dead cop, grabs a gun, tries to shoot Leatherface. It's empty. Oh my god, she ends up doing all this stuff. Okay, now this scene was great. She jumps out the second story window. Did you guys notice that when she jumps out the window, it doesn't break the first time she tries to jump through it and she gets caught in it and then it immediately cuts to another shot where she is going through the window? Yep. It's a real quick cut, but yeah, it's, it's it was quite noticeable to me. I was like, oh, 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 take two. Here we go. You made it. <laughs> it didn't break the first time and she gets caught like, Ugh! and then it's like smashed through it. And I was like, oh, what a fucking beautiful, like terrible cut that was. <laughs> um, so then she's on the roof being chased by Leatherface, who then is going to chainsaw his own chimney down because why the fuck not? She jumps onto a random tightrope wire that is connected to the house and a tree and shimmies across that. She gets away. She ends up running to the trailer where a real estate lady is. And she's like, oh, my God, I need help. They're going to come get us. And this is actually what I was talking about that they pull back later on with um, that family in the uh, the remake. But uh, anyway, she's like, I need help. She's like, don't worry about it. I'll call Velmer. He'll help us out. And she's like, OK. Educated hillbilly shows up, has a trash bag. They put her in a trash bag, put her in the trunk. And now you realize that, oh, my God, this town's in on it. These people all know each other. And then they're going to take her back to the slaughterhouse. It would have been cooler if the town was in on it. What it turns out, though, is that they just these people are just so unlucky. They just meet the same family over and over again because the real estate lady or whatever is part of this family. Like, you know, what would have been cool if the pizza guy had seen her and been like oh okay i know what's up like then that would have implied the whole town was in on it oh good point they were almost there but instead they went with the dumber version of it's just your unlucky day and you keep meeting people who are part of this little family it's taking parts of the original chainsaw and redoing it poorly right because in the original we had the gas station attendant who turned out to be uh, a sawyer And when they made it back to the gas station, there was nothing else around. It was literal wilderness. Mm -hmm. But in this one, you're in a town. There's a drive-through pizza burger place. There's cops everywhere. There's kids. There's a school large enough to have a prom. You know what I mean? Like it, it just doesn't quite make any sense when you stop to think about it. You you mentioned that so offhandedly, but it's such an important point that like half this movie makes you think that like you're in the middle of nowhere and there's no escape from the the environment of this like interconnected hillbilly area. But yes, the drive through pizza place is bustling. Yeah, there are cops. There are baseball teams of kids. There's people like they're doing business. There's a line of cars, too. So this is not a small burg in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Yeah, it's across the street from a strip mall that had an H-E-B in it because I saw the big red sign and I was like, oh, shit. Did you really? Yeah. If, if When they're pulling uh, at some point in the in the, the drive through pizza place scene, they show an exterior view and it's out of focus. But in the background, there's an H-E-B sign. I was like, damn, they haven't changed their sign in 25 years. I thought you were joking. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> For our out of Texas listeners, H-E-B is our grocery chain. Yes, um, our Piggly Wiggly, if you will. No, I'm just kidding. I was just naming off a random grocery chain from like Tennessee. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah. But this place is so busy and it's like, what, maybe three minutes away from where that lady's trailer is, which again points out that this place is like the square footage of like a strip mall, but has everything and anything you could ever want. But anyway, so Darla gets to the uh, pizza place. Sony's to buy her a pack of straws because this woman is thirsty she will fuck 
anything that moves. Because mm-hmm. um, the pizza guy's like, what do you got in your trunk? You got something in your trunk? And she's like, you want to see what it is? And I was like, oh, God. If she fucks this dude on the hood of the car with a person in the trunk, that's fucked up. But anyway, like, he's like, yeah, I do. And he's like, she's like, come on, let's go check it out. She pops the trunk with a fucking person in there. And then he's like, oh, I better not. I'll get in trouble on my shift. She was willing to show this guy the body in her trunk. And I'm like, what is the play here? Like, what is she hoping to accomplish? Does she think, and I don't know if you guys can answer that for me, but she legitimately is about to like show somebody that she's got a body in her trunk. I think it was her just daring, you know, like it's always about pushing that envelope or, you know, just a little bit closer to getting caught. Like, you know, she's playing daredevil or something. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah. I think she just knew that that kid was not going to like, I don't know. She just pulled that kid's card. He was talking a lot of game, but she's like, you ain't going to come. That's what she said. (laughs) Uh, To Mark's point, there's like an exhilaration of walking right up to that line. Yeah. Yeah. And and to be fair, the the pizza guy brings up the trunk, right? Because Zellweger's making all kinds of commotion. He's like, it sounds like you got something in your trunk. She's like, I got a body in there. You want to see it? And then, yeah, he's just like, "Uh, no, I better not. So she goes around to the car and she's like, you need to shut up. Okay, if you don't shut up, I'm gonna put tape on your mouth. <laughs> she's like, "All right, I'll be quiet if you poke a hole. I can't breathe." And she's like, "Well, all right," <laughs> like pokes the hole in the bag. <laughs> and that's when the cops behind her, who are in the drive-through waiting for their food, start to walk up. And this was the part where I was saying it was like the the most tension in the movie is like, "Oh, she's gonna get busted, and this movie's gonna get interesting." Finally, nope. They shut the lid on the trunk, and she makes some more sexual suggestions to the cop. Gets in and drives off, and then we're back at home with the pizzas and Vilmer's there, and it feels like the rest of the movie just takes place in this kitchen. Yeah, with a lot of Matthew McConaughey sticking his fingers inside of Renee's mouth, a lot of yelling. Like this, just feels like domestic abuse for like twenty minutes. So. Think, you know who's, besides Barry, one of the main villains of this movie? That fucking pizza kid. Because the next car he served was a cop car. And he didn't think to go, hey, you know the car right in front of me? It sounded like there was a body in there. Also, that lady got out and had a conversation with her trunk. <laughs> you might want to check that out. Oh my God, John. That's some suspicious behavior. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. He doesn't tell the cops this lady just had a conversation with her trunk. He keeps that shit to himself. Oh, man. Yeah. So, um, and right before, uh, oh, God, sorry. I need a moment to to regroup after that. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. That kid blew it. Yeah. No, uh, one thing to point out real quick, though, is as uh, Darla is driving back to the house before she gets uh, verbally and physically abused by... At this point, we realize they're all related and connected in this like weird family they've chosen to be in. They come across Heather, who has pulled herself off the meat hook, and she was put on it by her back. She pulls herself off the meat hook and is trying to climb away. And Darla like comes out, hits her with a stick, like she's trying to swat a fly off. Oh yeah, this was so stupid. <laughs> it's the most pathetic hits I've ever seen. And somehow Leatherface and the family didn't notice Heather got away. Like that takes a lot of like, as Sally proved in the original or in the remakes. Like when you're meat hooked in the back, 
you're not getting yourself off Mm-mm. that. Okay. Let me rephrase that. Uh, <laughs> you're not freeing yourself from the meat hook, but somehow she made it all the way out to the dusty dirt road and she's just laying there and it's like, wait a minute. How did this happen? <laughs> I need to see this part of the movie. Yeah, they couldn't shout because it makes no sense. How did Heather pull herself off of this when the like the meathead jock from the remake couldn't do it? Right. You'd have broken ribs, like a punctured lung probably, but mostly Heather just can't walk. And when she's getting, I would say, beat by this stick, but that's overselling it. When she's getting lightly tapped by the stick, she's like, no, don't hit me. And the lady's like... <laughs> All right, fine. Well, all right. <laughs> and then just leaves her. Just promise you don't go nowhere and I won't hit you with this stick again. It's basically what Darla tells her. And then she gets to the house and she says, hey, that girl's uh, climbing on the road. And they're like, oh, shit, I guess we'll go get her. So, yeah, everyone's just way too cool about this shit playing out. But to kind of like speed this along, we get all these interconnected scenes of all these characters interacting with each other. You realize that I don't know the name of the educated hillbilly is clearly like this family's undisciplined. He knows the grandfather from the original because that old white mummy looking dude uh, at the table was supposed to be the grandfather from the first movie. Yeah, I couldn't really tell what was happening here. So they they unbag Zellwidger and she's sitting at the table and there's all these like zombified looking people that I thought were dead bodies at first until grandpa gets a knife and just leaves the movie entirely. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, he never returns. He never does anything. Like, he just, when all the commotion starts and Vilmer starts <laughs> abusing people. <laughs> like, he just leaves. And that's that. We never see him again. Yeah, I thought he was going to stab Velmer or somebody. But no, the, the old man just get. And the thing is, is right before that, um, educated hillbilly is like, you know what? This is the problem with this family. They're they're uh, they've forgotten the old ways. They forgot discipline. You know, they're just all over the place and being crazy. And that's why they're going to get caught. But you and I, we understand the, the family traditions. And I was like, oh, OK. So this really is a group of people who've decided to live the Sawyer lifestyle, if you will. And they've all just chose the craziest character choices in existence. Yeah, Grandpa gets up, walks off when shit's going down. They just they say the Leatherface wants to shave off Heather's face or Renee Zellweger's face to use that one now because he's tired of the old one. Which I got to admit, I appreciate that Leatherface keeps up with the fashion and has a new look for each season. It, it just descends into chaos. Um, at this point, there's a lot of fighting. At some point, Renee gets a gun and is like, I'll shoot you guys, but... Then McConaughey does his best Nick Cage impression, and then everything goes tits up. This is the part that I have the most questions for you guys. The big quote-unquote heady reveal? Yes. There's a knock on the door, because a a limo pulls up to this house while everything is going haywire. A limo pulls up to this house. A giant, tall chauffeur gets out and lets out a man with a very terrible wig. That man walks in the house and meets Velmer, and he's like... What's going on here? This is this is unacceptable. This is inappropriate. Walks into the dining the dining room with everybody and everything going crazy. Everyone stops, respects his presence. He then walks up to Renee Zellweger and goes, "Yo, like, well, he doesn't say yo, but like, he goes, <laughs> this is not right at all. They were supposed to experience a brand new kind of horror." He unbuttons his shirt. A, a, a white button-up collared shirt with a tie, spreads it open, doesn't take his shirt off, spreads it open, and on his 
chest slash stomach, he's got all these like scarification designs and these metal rings pierced through it. So he looks like a a Bobo knockoff, like fleshy pinhead goes up, licks Jenny's face a bunch of times, which I just got to imagine was not scripted because the way she reacted, that's the most acting she did in the whole movie. And then turns around and walks around and is like, this is this will not do fix it and then leaves. What the fuck was that? So I, this is what I was talking about. Like, I feel like the film was trying to say something, but it couldn't form the right words to get its point across. And I, I, I can see an interpretation saying that this is potentially a representation of horror audiences, uh, desire to continually be scared and not continue to get the same like formulas. You know, if we if we want to buy into that, this is some sort of parody of the original, then I think this was trying to like maybe message to us that like, hey, we can't keep doing the same thing or it's not going to be scary. Like we have to try to change it up and do something else. And I think that might have been like a fourth wall breaking moment that the movie was trying to make my interpretation, though. Um, It also if you go look up this this bit on Wikipedia or wherever, it talks about Kim Hinkle being influenced by conspiracy theories and the the tales of the Illuminati that were going around around back then. You know, the secret society is always running something. This is probably the birth of QAnon for all we know. This is like what we were buying into in the 90s the or the equivalent of the QAnon of the 90s. But what is, because the thing is, is I was like, why is this, why does this character have this crazy stomach thing? What is he doing here? He clearly calls the shots. Did he create this family? Did he hire these people? Are they on his payroll? Why does he own this house? Did he basically like, is he obsessed with the Sawyer family? And like, I'm going to continue to duplicate this. Why is he having them do this to random people? What is the overall play here? Because he says what they're doing is not okay. He's like, this is not right at all. You guys are, you guys are completely botching this. You need to do this right. Well, he's saying he's basically telling them they're doing it wrong. Like they need to be more horrific. And that's when he shows his weird like chest rings and then starts licking her face. And it's one of the most disturbing parts of the movie. Just watching this man lick Zellweger for like a minute and a half. Then he buttons it up and he basically tells him to shape up or he's going to fuck him up. And there also is a line earlier where Darla is talking to Zellweger in the bathroom and she's like, listen, it's not. Vilmer's fault. The job is really getting to him, like trying to justify his manic behavior. I think she's referring to his employment of living in this house, doing these horrific things to random people they find. So yes, I think he is employed by this man who goes by Rothman, the 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 guy in the limo. Wait, did you say Rothman? Yeah. Oh, that sounds kind of anti-Semitic, honestly. <laughs> I don't know if that's meant to be, but oh boy. Um, yeah, but again, what the fuck's the point? Like, why is Rothman trying to even do this? Like, what is he says that they're supposed to experience true horror, but who? Why? Random people? How is anybody hearing about this? Garrett, Garrett, you we've made it this far into the movie. <laughs> there is no point. And if there's anything to take away from the movie, is that it's just random collection of shit written down and then probably not even made written down in a script probably just a bunch of general scenes that they're all fucking improving anyway i i totally understand your questions i just don't think they're there they don't there's no there's if you dig 
one millimeter beneath the surface of this movie, you realize it is just a hollow shell of garbage. You've dug too far. (laughs) I have one parallel I can make to you, and I think somewhere in the movie, Rothman describes this as a transcendental experience that's supposed to... Let's let's consider the franchise Saw. Do you remember how Jigsaw was trying to make people appreciate their life? I do. By putting them through this horrific event? I think it's something similar to that. But there's no there's no appreciate like oh god okay you know what fine i'm letting it go but this this upset me more than anything else in the movie because up until this point i was like oh crazy's going to be crazy and i'm okay with that because for whatever their their personal reasons they've they've bought into this thing but then to think that everybody was hired or everybody was part of a plan and it had gone this off the rails that means he hired a leatherface he hired an educated hillbilly one he hired a big titty realtor lady who has severe emotional issues. He hired robot leg McConaughey and well, maybe he just hired McConaughey and McConaughey hired the staff. It's that's possible. <laughs> He's the manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, McConaughey's clearly the leader of that group. So what if this is a big pyramid scheme? Maybe. I think, I mean, what it also like is I think part of is that that was like a big zeitgeist in the nineties, right? Of like, the global conspiracy, you got your X-Files. It was just everywhere. Um, And back then it was like, oh, how adorable this is. Look at these crazies. I mean, now it's half of the country. But back then, uh, I think that was just a huge part of media. I think they were just throwing everything in the kitchen sink into this script. Okay, well then let's go ahead and round this out then along those lines then because after this happens, after Rothman leaves... Jenny basically outsmarts McConaughey by pushing the button on his remote multiple times and making his legs spasm crazy. So he's bested by a remote control, classic end of movie excitement. Um, She gets away. It's daytime now. A plane, a random plane is flying above, giving us aerial shots. She's running away, comes across a giant RV with two old people in it who were drinking Bloody Mary's early in the morning in the middle of a Texas abandoned road um, being chased by Leatherface and Velmer and his truck. She gets in the RV Leatherface does some Leatherface shit. The RV crashes in a glorious fashion. I was like, wow, (laughs) it takes a lot to crash an RV that bad. The truck pulls up and then she jumps off the RV and starts running. And then now Leatherface and Velmer are chasing them on foot. Someone we do not know who in a plane goes too low, like Snake Von Ryan Snake, you know, like clips McConaughey's face, slices it open. He's dead on the ground. Leatherface sees this and does his little like freak out Leatherface dance, which is very reminiscent of the first one, which I did think that was a nice little nod to the first one. Did the elderly couple die in the crash? We're assuming so. Those people were just having a nice little vacation, seven feet from town, and... (laughs) Ended up dead. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, the lady in the trailer just rented us this RV. Let's take it out on the dirt road. That's not where you want to take your RV. You want to take your RV to the Grand Canyon or to Mount Rushmore. What are you doing in the backwoods of Texas with Bloody Marys? These people, they wanted to take their RV into their backyard (laughs) and ended up dead. So after um, McConaughey gets slashed and Leatherface loses his shit, a giant limo pulls up on this dirt road after seeing this this chaos ensue. She gets in. It's Rothman again. And Rothman then explains to her like, oh, yeah, 
this is just not the way it's supposed to be. I don't know why it's gotten this way. And then she goes, fuck you. And then he goes, do you want me to take you to a hospital or a police station? Which again goes to the whole like, dude, she's a surviving witness to all this shit that you're doing. And yeah, maybe she doesn't know this guy's name and he'll get away. But like he's she's going to blow the cover off your big old elaborate scheme that you've created. Well, I think the point of that was to show he's so powerful. It doesn't matter. She could tell the police. She could tell whoever it's not going to have any effect on this guy's life because oh god they own all of that or they own their bosses or whatever Ken, i own the police <laughs> so he doesn't give a shit he she is no threat to him is i think what they were trying to get across it's so bad so he takes her to a hospital and she's in the hospital and a cop is like hey are you okay like you know like are you all right as she's sitting there telling the cop like her account and kind of being there kind of sort of comatose because of what she's been through a large man is wheeling a woman on a gurney who's alive past her. And that is the original Sally from the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then that's when the cop goes, do you recognize those people? Yeah. So there's three cameos. Uh, we've got the original grandpa played by John Dugan. He's the police officer. And the one pushing the gurney, the orderly, that's Franklin. Uh, you'll remember him as the wheelchair guy who ain't having none of it in the original. <laughs> oh, okay. So Jenny basically makes eye contact with a with a comatose, fucked up Sally on a gurney. And the cop goes, do you recognize her? And the thing is, if you have no idea, and it's not a great shot, if you have no idea exactly what Sally looks like at the end of the movie, um, you're not going to make this connection whatsoever. Like, there's no indication that that's the original girl from the first movie. Um, but that's what it's supposed to be. Then she doesn't say anything, and then smash cut the black. That's the end of the movie. Again, there are like six things at the end of this film where it's like, where the fuck did any of this come from? And why even introduce it at this point? It makes no fucking sense other than the fact that it's like, haha, that's clever. And it's like, yes, in context, that is clever. You gave us no context. I enjoyed the fuck out of this movie, but I'm so angry about how like baffling it is at the end. That makes no sense. Yeah, it's unfocused. It's not a well thought out movie. It's got a lot of ideas that are just if you like John said, if you peel back the surface, there ain't anything there. I, I think like one like a perfect encapsulation of this movie and like did they even really understand Texas Chainsaw, which is so weird because, you know, Kim Inkle is so involved in the franchise, is thinking back to that dinner scene, they're eating pizza instead of people. Like, it's just such a random change. Why do that? Why take, like, if you're going to uh, have an homage or copy or whatever, this scene that's supposed to be so frightening and show how fucked up this family is, and then they just have them eating pizza, one of them being a vegetarian pizza. It's like, what? Why? Why would you do that? I can answer that for you. There was a line in one of the previous movies where there was like, what, have you never heard of pizza? Like, kind of like razzing them about it. So they thought it'd be funny and clever to have them in this one eating pizza as a nod to that. A throwaway half-beat one-liner that makes no goddamn impact on anything in their minds stuck out and they were like, oh, we got to acknowledge that. What the fuck? Yeah. So I, but like, I think that's a good test. If you like this movie, if you're like, Hey, that sounds super clever. 
I dig that. You might actually enjoy this movie. Uh, if you're like me and you're and Garrett and you're like, why? Why would you do that? What the fuck? You're probably not going to be on board with all the other poor decisions in this film. And there is a clapper in this movie. When Darla leaves her office, she does the clapper. She's like, clap, clap. And the lights go off. I was, <laughs> I was like, yeah, <laughs> I love the clapper. That shit's so dumb. And I love the fact that it is like, it's such a, like a place in time when that was a thing. Just to talk on the point of the pizza a little bit more. Um, I think there could have been some level of cleverness to tie that into the fact that McConaughey and all these people aren't Sawyers. They're hired people to do this weird Illuminati transcendent horror experience that could have been explained. And again, I think just all these ideas are are left in here and they're not connected and not well enough thought out. So this movie could have been the cabin in the woods before the cabin in the woods. Yes. It has a lot of the same pieces, just not, you know, in the same order or nearly as competently executed. But it was like right there. Like, I think that's what they were going for. Uh, a sort of meta horror take. And, you know, when you read about this movie, that's what people really read into it. Um, I don't know if that's sort of after the fact justification for this movie. I think some of it might be. But like just watching it, it doesn't successfully get that across. I don't think. I think you're right, John. I think there is a subversive, a subversive like meta kind of, you know, concept here. But it is executed so poorly that it really just loses all that potential and just becomes a why would you two and two, you know, do not equal seven? What the fuck are you thinking? And there's so many like, you know, Mark, to your thing about the pizza, there's so many good things that are kind of like, you know, like threads of a bigger sweater. But it's a sweater that's been like in the attic for like years and been eaten by moths. I mean, it's it's just astounding what they kept in and what they chose to do. It seems like there was no cohesive vision to make all of it work. And I'll be honest, I enjoy this movie from a standpoint of like, oh my God, sit down. We're going to watch a piece of trash and it's going to be hilarious. Like Renee, Renee Zellweger's like, I know I'm saying her name wrong. So I apologize to all the listeners. I don't know how to pronounce it properly, but um, her acting, everyone's acting is so bad it's so like they don't put any effort into it uh mcconaughey's like nick cage freakout stuff is really entertaining until you realize that there's no point for him to even be doing it oh it's just it's astounding it literally is a is a car crash that you just want to like be like yo how and why did this happen you just have to look Are you guys going to recommend people watch this movie? I'll go with a soft no. I think there's, if you, especially if you're looking for a Texas Chainsaw movie, there are better ones. Uh, I like the 2003 remake for it, right? I think it was a three, whatever. Yeah. The remake, uh, I think that that was really enjoyable. Um, I don't think I was as big a fan of the beginning. There's obviously the original. There's just like so many other ones you could watch that are more enjoyable. But also, if you're like, I want to watch the whole franchise or I want to see what this movie's about, like, I wouldn't give it a hard pass, but it's be be warned. At least it's only 90 minutes. So, you know, you got that going for you. I have to recommend it. I have to recommend it on the aspect that it is just so bafflingly insane. It will make you mad if you want any kind of like cohesive narrative. If you understand what you're going into, 
you will have a blast with this film. If you do not understand what you're going into, you will be angry. <laughs> like I was for half the movie. I think it's an odd curiosity in a franchise that is mostly a mess. I think if you're into the Texas Chainsaw, then you should check it out. And at least you'll get to see a McConaughey and a Zellweger kind of doing early work before they really blew up and became huge actors and actresses. I don't think it's good, but kind of to Garrett's point, I think it's a, a fun, dumb movie that has some boring parts in it. Like I was a lot of the times I was just finding myself kind of daydreaming about other things. <laughs> But I'd already seen this one before, so that could be part of that. Uh, no, it's just boring. You're you're on there, Mark. Uh, I felt the same way. <laughs> See, I had the exact opposite reaction. I broke a sweat trying to figure this fucking thing out. Like I was like, "There's no way." Like Garrett's beautiful mining this shit in the, like his house. Yes, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Fateful Findings, the Neil Breen film. It is a masterclass in train wreck horribleness. But I've seen that movie so many times because in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm missing something. There's there's a, a key here that I'm just not putting in the right hole and I'm going to unlock this motherfucker. I, I have to admit, the moment Rothman showed up, I was like, okay, here it is. Gary, you're a smart dude. Piece it together. Figure it out. They're going for something. And it made me so mad because I worked so hard to understand this movie. And at the end, I was like, you sons of bitches. <laughs> How could you? You let me down, film. <laughs> okay, well, before we wrap up, there's one other thing I just want to touch on, and we, we talked about it, but not at length, and that is Matthew McConaughey's mechanical, remote-controlled leg brace. He's got 17 to 25 remotes for this leg brace. Why does it have to be remote-controlled? Why doesn't it just have physical buttons that he could press on it? And why not just have a one remote control that he knows works and a bag of AA batteries? Look, Mark, I can sum this up with a quote from the classic sketch comedy, The State. We had the remotes. We had to have the mechanical leg. <laughs> so I do not know why they were controlled by and also why have all of them control the same leg? I don't know. It just seemed like a mess. Guys, we're working with 1995 technology here. He was doing the best he could in a fairly primitive time. So, you know, cut him some slack. It did give us the wonderful line in this movie of like, God damn it, why aren't the batteries for my remotes charged? <laughs> I was like, there it is. The fact that the leg doesn't need batteries, the remote does, is mind-boggling. <laughs> and also, to <laughs> Mark's point, why even have a wireless remote? You never need to control your leg from anywhere but your person. It should be wired. <laughs> yeah. Do you want someone else to be able to control your legs? I don't I don't know. You guys want to hear something really stupid before we, we wrap this up? Um, I think I was like 45, 50 minutes in this movie before I noticed he had a mechanical leg. <laughs> Didn't know. I thought he just chose to have like tubes and wires all over his body. <laughs> It's a, it's a character choice. I didn't know he had a mechanical leg until like later on in the film when he was like choking her, um, Darla out with his foot on top. I was like, oh, that's a mechanical leg. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does crush Heather's head with it. Uh, I guess maybe that's why it's controlled by the remote so he can put more torque on his foot. I don't know. Doesn't make any sense. little oomph. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think we have... Two and a half recommendations for this terrible chainsaw movie. Listeners, what do you think about this movie? Why don't you let us know on our social media? You can find us at Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We also have thegravetalk.com where you can get all of our latest episodes and anything we're up to. Garrett, what are we doing next time? So the next movie we got coming up, uh, Mark, is the 
pretty recent uh, horror film, Sinister. Oh, yeah. I still haven't seen that one, so this will be a good opportunity to check that out. Okay. Well, listeners, until next time, uh, stay frosty. (laughs) (laughs) Word. Keep being you. Be the best you can be, listener. Yeah. Stay safe out there. Keep your masks on. You know, do what we're supposed to do. Let's get to this pandemic and, uh, you know, we'll keep kicking out content for you. You heard it. All right. Catch y'all later. 